And we welcome you to the Wednesday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I'm very excited, first of all, to welcome back into our studio someone who's been on the morning show before any number of times, Dr. Alvaro Garcia, who is uh, uh, on the music faculty at the University of Wisconsin Parkside and also associate dean of the School for Arts and Humanities. So uh, that makes his life very, very full and uh, challenging indeed. And uh, he is also with us today because he is something of a faculty host for a very special guest at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, namely David Mason, who is uh, Howard Brown Artist-in-Residence at Parkside. David Mason, a a native of Kenosha, is a renowned violist who is now principal viola with the the Japan Philharmonic in Tokyo. And uh, we're going to be talking with uh, David Mason about his life in music, his love of the viola, and his mastery of that beautiful instrument. We'll be finding out some of what he has been doing uh, at Parkside thus far and still to come. Uh, his duties there include a performance with the orchestra at Parkside this coming uh, Saturday, the, f- uh, the 5th of March, 3 p.m., in beautiful Francis Bedford Concert Hall. And uh, there are other things that he is doing as well uh, as part of the musical life at uh, UW Parkside. And, of course, we'll find out about this little thing called COVID and what it has been like to uh, live and work in in Japan during what has been such a challenging period for uh, musicians all around the world. So, David Mason and Alvaro Garcia, we welcome both of you to The Morning Show. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you very much for having me. Glad that you can uh, both be with us. It's uh, great to have you here. uh, Alvaro, let's start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about this matter of the Howard Brown Artist in Residence at uh, at Parkside. Many of our listeners uh, will will recognize the name of Howard Brown, but but uh, for maybe those few listeners who who don't know who we're talking about, maybe say a word about Howard Brown and this legacy that he leaves behind in terms of of um, underwriting uh, this Artist in Residence program. Yeah, so uh, as, as you said before, Howard Brown, president uh, of and, and owner of the Kenosha News, uh, he was always a great supporter of, of the arts, and, and, and we used to have galas uh, before at uh, UW Parkside, and, and he and his wife Betsy used to come and, and, and be part of those gala concerts that we used to have. And a few years ago, um, after the passing of, of Howard Brown, uh, uh, his uh, widow, um, Betsy Brown established a fund at UW Parkside for orchestral, um, you know, projects, uh, uh, so to speak. And, and, and when we were talking about what to do exactly with a fund, uh, we decided to, it would be a, a great thing to, to bring a soloist or produce a concert with a soloist that if that soloist could come and actually give back, as, as Howard Brown used to give back to the community, mm. uh, and, and bring a soloist that could somehow give back to the community, right? And, and we started, actually, we were lucky enough to say, well, there is a good number of artists from this area, southeastern Wisconsin, that they are in the national and international sphere uh, that could come back to town and, and, and demonstrate their, their great talents and skills. And, and you know, in the past we had um, uh, people like uh, Paul Cortese or Rachel Wilbikis. They were here. 
Uh, uh, and and now we had the, the the great pleasure and honor to have David Mason, too, who also also native from Kenosha, and they are in the international musical sphere, performing, and and part of their their commitment here is not only playing this concert with the orchestra and actually giving to the community in such way, but also we are able to arrange uh, for them to visit clinics. And, and to be able to see the youngest uh, musicians uh, here in our areas. So Mr. Mason already has visited uh, several high schools. And I had to thank here uh, KUSD, um, Scott Plank, and uh, also the directors of their high schools, um, uh, Helen Breitenbach at, at Tremper, Heather Kamikawa at Bradford, and Carl Miller at Bradford, and, um, and Nathan Gardner, at Indian Trail Academy. Uh, uh, today, after, actually, we are gonna be also at Harborside with Jasmine Cossier, and, and hopefully on Thursday, we are gonna be also at Case High School uh, with Max Feiler and Racine. Huh. So it, all in all, I think we are gonna be visiting about five different <laughs> high schools in which uh, Mr. Mason is able to go do m either master classes with the kids who want to play for, for him, or either he makes a presentation in which he plays for the for the kids uh, a solo piece for the viola and actually he's able to entertain questions and answers from the kids and and it was kind of it has been fac fascinating to see actually how the kids responded to mr mason and and they they asked questions like most likely the questions that you will be asking him <laughs> today here <laughs> in the show right but uh but they were like fantastic kids and, and they gave them all their devotion. So we are very happy about that and, and how we are able to give back to the community through this fund, through the generosity of, of Betsy Brown, that this can happen in such fantastic. way. Fantastic. I'm trying to remember, did uh, did this have to go on hiatus last year because of COVID? Or, or were last year, were you able yeah, to still have an yes, artist in residence? Actually, actually, we had to be somewhat in hiatus, uh, although what we were able to do, we we, con uh, we were able to uh, to have uh, David Mason, actually, so it's kind of second year in a row, oh. but we were able to, to have him actually virtually. Okay. It's not the same thing, but, you know, that, that was a way of that. Uh, what we were able is to compose uh, a, a video of his performances, latest performance with viola and piano, and we were disseminating that through through the schools, and we were able to do also... Um, kind of an interview. An interview, and, like, uh, like, like yours kind of here right now, now yeah. but we did it over Facebook, and we <laughs> streamed that to the world, and, and you know, little, little things like that, that's what we were able to do. Yeah. Which the impact, of course, is not the same, right? To be here right. in person and to be able to, to connect with the kids face to face is not the same. Right. So, so finally, we said, like, well, let's do this virtually for this year. But now this is the year that we finally were able to, to bring him and stay yeah. with us. And here you are in the <laughs> flesh. So, David Mason, it's so good to have you here. It's uh, great to meet you. And... Um, we want to remind everybody before we kind of get in your life story that you're going to be playing with the uh, Parkside Orchestra this Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock in yes. Francis Bedford Concert Hall. And uh, we'll be talking about that concert and about the work that you're going to be playing, a piece by Schubert, but not that Schubert, yeah. <laughs> but another composer with the last name of yeah. Schubert. So, David Mason, born and raised in, uh, in Kenosha. Yes. Tell us about... Uh, the onset of your love affair with the viola. <laughs> uh, how old were you, and uh, under what circumstances did you even encounter the viola? Right. So I 
was a third grade student at Grant Elementary School here in Kenosha. And kind of in the middle of the year, what happens is a lot of the string teachers throughout the district will visit the various elementary schools to recruit young you know, musicians to start playing um, for a summer class. And so what happened was, um, you know, a teacher comes to our third grade class and brings a bunch of instruments for us to see and try out. And that was, you know, the first time I'd ever really come in contact with any instrument of that, um, you know, nature. And so at first I actually tried the cello. That was the one instrument that, you know, I was able to try. Um, and I was like, oh, this is really nice. You get to sit down. It feels really nice. The sound is beautiful. And, you know, so I kind of was like, oh, maybe I should play the cello. I, I wanted to play an instrument after that presentation. I was just really moved by it. Um, and then I go home and I asked my parents, I was like, oh, we had, you know, a great presentation today. You know, someone was recruiting people to start an instrument. And I was like, oh, can I start? You know, is this something that I can do? I really like it. And, you know, they're signing up for a summer class this summer. And, you know, they were like, okay, yeah, it gives you something to do over the summer. You're not just stuck at home. And, um, you know, let, let's try it out and see, you know, how you um, react to it. So, and then they were like, oh, so what do you want to play? And I was like, oh, what about the cello? And they're like, hmm, you know, cello's nice, but it's a little big. Mm. <laughs> um so why don't you try to play something smaller, you know, normal size? You know, we don't, you're not going to want to lug that big thing around all the time. So I was <laughs> like, okay, we'll see. But I was really undecided still at that point because I was like, oh, if cello's not going to work, then what should I do? Um, that left me with violin or viola. And then we go to the meeting where we actually go to sign up for the class. We get set up with the rental instruments from Pacetti's and Music Center. We, you know, fill out all the paperwork. And I was still kind of undecided at that time. And so I get to the line and I'm like, what am I going to play? And then I start to like hear the other kids, like they're all choosing violin. And I'm like, why are they all choosing violin? Mm. You know, what's that other thing there? Mm. And just on a whim, I, it, you know, I, it comes to be my turn and I just said viola. Mm. To be different. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just said viola. And I remember their faces just lighting up. They're like, oh, you're choosing a viola? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Oh. <laughs> Wow. So, um, you know, so I chose the viola. They started to fit me for which size I would play because obviously I was quite small at the time. So they fit you with what size is appropriate. And then I go to sign up for a rental instrument and I sign up for which school I want to attend for the class. And um, I actually started the viola exactly on June 20th, year 2000. And I took a summer class at Stoker Elementary School for like four to six weeks. And that's how it started. Wow. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> I know that you must have made spectacular progress because I know at the tender age of 15, you won the Kenosha Symphony Youth Audition. Yes. And actually <laughs> kind of made your soloistic debut in, in that sort of in yeah. that sort of way mm -hmm. uh, already at the age of 15. So it must have been a pretty spectacular rise, was it? Or in the beginning, did you experience some of the struggles that most <laughs> youngsters have when they first grapple right. with a string instrument? Um, I think I probably did experience those first initial struggles. You know, of course, it's a very awkward instrument to play physically because, you know, the first couple lessons is really just about 
posture and how to hold the instrument and, you know, how you're not even using the bow at that point. And so, I mean, I think I was always kind of with the, the rest of the kids at that point. But I would say by the end of the summer, maybe I, you know, I would practice at home all the time. And I kind of was just so curious and I would just kind of keep working at it on my own and going ahead and like, oh, this feels good. And I think my teacher noticed that at the time. Um, and I, my my teacher in the summer class is actually Elizabeth Tersek, who would later uh, become my very first private viola teacher. Yeah. And I remember in the fall, like at the end of the class, I remember she's like, oh, yeah, you made really great progress. And she's like, you go to Grant Elementary School, right? And I said, yeah. And she's like, oh, that's great because I will be your teacher there. Because that was she just happened to be the teacher for that elementary school as oh, well. Wow. Um, she was teaching middle school at Washington. And so she also had the feeder elementary schools mm-hmm. in that area. Um, and so I, so when I, at the fall, in the fall, when I first started doing group lessons at Grant with, you know, other kids, um, maybe she noticed that I was already quite ahead of the other kids. Um, and then maybe fast forward a couple of weeks, she calls my parents and was saying like, you know, he is a, a huge talent already. I, I can, t- I can feel it. Mm. Um, and I would I really want to teach him um, privately. I think he could do this. And I had no idea this was happening at the time. Um, And then I remember just my parents sitting me down saying, you know, do you like this? Is this what you, is this something that you can see yourself doing? Um, You know, and it was weird because I was like, why are they saying this to me? I don't, you know, is this, this, did I do something wrong or? (laughs) Right, right. and I was just like, yeah, I really like this. And I think they could tell that I really was taking to it because not once did they ever have to ask me to go practice. Right. That's, so, that's something a lot. You know, I, you know, I just I would come home from school or I would come home and, you know, do whatever I needed to do. And then I would go straight to my room and start practicing viola. Wow. And so that's kind of how, you know, of course, do, having that sort of worth, work ethic, um, I kind of started to make progress really fast. Right. And, and, and thanks to having a wonderful teacher like yeah, Liz Trusick. I mean, that, <laughs> that uh, really makes a difference too. So are either of your parents musical or did no. you have musical siblings? So, you're, so you were kind of a musical island unto yourself yes, from the sounds of it. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> now, one thing that uh, surprised me when I looked at your, your biography We've already mentioned the Kenosha Symphony winning that at the age of 15, but you're listed as a graduate of the Interlochen Arts Academy High School. Yes. So does that mean that at some point you and your parents made the decision for you to go off somewhere to high school? Yeah. Um, So how that started, um, so I started attending, so Interlochen Center for the Arts is this huge, you know, arts Uh, sort of institution where, you know, they have a summer camp, they have the Arts Academy High School, and they have various other branches of um, the arts. And so I started attending the Interlochen Arts Camp when I was quite young, actually. I think I started going the summer after sixth grade. So I was young, you know, 11-year-old, just, you know, I would study with teachers from all over the country who would come there to teach. And it was kind of the first time where I got to interact with other peers who were who played just as well as me, or if not, much better. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of a very eye-opening experience for me. Um, and it really inspired me to come back 
after that summer and be like, okay, I have to work really hard. So mm. if I go back, then maybe I'll move up in the orchestra or I will, you know, I wanted to just, it gave me something to kind of strive for and be really motivated. And I remember the the third summer that I attended that camp, I met a teacher um, by the name of David Holland, who is the viola instructor for the Arts Academy. And I had played for him in a string quartet setting, so he got to hear me very intimately. Mm. Um, and I just remember him taking a very like a, a huge liking to me, and he told me he's like. If not, you know, I was because I was getting ready to enter high school around that time. I was in eighth grade when I met him. And he was like, if not now, I mean, I would love to take you as a freshman. But if not now, please, you know, come see me again in two years and we can revisit. You know, he really wanted me to come study with him. And so during that time, I kind of vetted my parents about it because it is a boarding school, which means I would be living there on my own. Hmm. Um, And... They were definitely like, definitely not now as a freshman. They weren't ready for me to, they didn't feel like I was ready to leave at that age. Um, And so I was able to, well, thankfully, because if I did go as a freshman, I probably wouldn't have studied with Alvaro. (laughs) So it was kind of, maybe it was kind of a nice fate a little bit, you know, that I did stay. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, and it, it gave you a couple of years to actually become the winner of the Kenosha Yeah, exactly. too, right? <laughs> yeah. But if you would have left that early, yeah. So I stayed done, for yeah. a few more years, um, just to kind of, yeah. I guess that all happened, um, but I was able to sort of ask my parents to that you know I really need to go to a place like this because to study with this type of teacher who sends students to all of the top colleges in and conservatories um you know having to being able to work with a teacher like that will really prepare me for um the conservatory university music school life um and so I auditioned at the end of my sophomore year and uh he took me and I was able to get a significant amount of scholarship money to attend. And so uh, from my junior and senior year, I, I left. I was attending Bradford High School at the time. I decided to leave, at, uh, after, and that was 2006-2007 uh, school year. Um, I, started, I decided to leave after that year, and I became a student at the Interlochen Arts Academy was that until a, graduation. Was that a hard move? I mean, did it? I mean, for as much as you wanted to, in terms of your viola, were there things about it that made it a difficult thing to do or not really? Were you so focused (laughs) and determined that all of those other matters about leaving behind friends and parents didn't didn't matter too much in the moment? Um, Me, myself? uh, No, it was not a hard decision at all for me. I was I was very ready for it and I was very excited about it. Of course I had my friends or I had other people kind of, you know, the typical Midwesterner like, oh, are you gonna really go that far away from your parents? Or you know, you're gonna be living away from home. You're only fifteen years old. Like I you know, that's it was it's a very foreign, you know, con, you know, <laughs> comprehension to a lot to most people to send right. their kid away. Um, you know, to study something that they love, but it was very necessary for me because, you know, I just kept hearing from my my teachers like, you've done everything you could here in Kenosha, and if you really, you know, you need to keep going and you know, with your talent, you have to keep going. And so, at that time, they said it was time for me to go, and I understood that. 
Right. You, you know, as, as, a, as a teacher, I was really sad mm. and, and at the same time really happy and proud, right, <laughs> that, that he could move or, or he could scale up, right? Sure. Uh, be, because not, it's not only what you do as a soloist or, or as a student learning as much as possible, squeezing the most of our, out of your teachers, but also also what it helps is the environment that you mm. are Absolutely. into. Sure. Have you seen the other people and how raises your competition level in, in your mind and, and, and have more readiness for a game, right? Sure. For those of you just joining us, we're speaking today with, uh, well, just now, Alvaro Garcia, who, of course, is the orchestra director at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, and David Mason, who is back in his hometown of Kenosha as the Howard Brown Artist-in-Residence at UW-Parkside. And uh, he is going to be performing with the Parkside Orchestra in a concert this Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock that we'll talk about shortly. So you're off to Interlochen Arts Academy High School, where things obviously go very, very well. And from there to the New England Conservatory of Music and eventually uh, to Yale. In this uh, rocket (laughs) upward trajectory... Uh, were there any periods of time where you, in a sense, fell out of love with the viola, where it started to feel like uh, a, a drag or something you just right. wanted to discard in favor of something else? Or, or by and large, has your love of the viola, which was so evident uh, from very early on, has it been a, a very consistent force in your life? Mm-hmm. I think at that time... I don't, not really. Um, I had very, very good teachers and mentors in my life who were constantly trying to keep me motivated and keep me going. Um, When I was at the New England Conservatory, I studied with the viola professor Martha Katz, who was an incredible violist with the Cleveland Quartet. And I used to listen to recordings of her playing, mm. and I was just so inspired that I got to, you know, study with someone with that much wisdom and that much experience, that, you know, high level of playing, and that she was teaching me to, you know, really find my sound and find myself at that age. Mm. Um, and so I didn't really fall out of love. With, I wouldn't say I fell out of love with the viola. Um, I think... If anything, I struggled with was kind of just trying to find that environment of which I could surround myself with with people who were supportive or friendly. You know, the you know, one thing we don't talk about as students or as kind of people that are we're all thrown into this conservatory environment, um, especially at a place like New England Conservatory, which has one of the best string departments in, you know, in arguably the world. Um, you know, there's everyone's such a everyone's a superstar mm-hmm. or everyone is, you know, coming from being the best where they are or whatever. And so that comes with, I mean, people, sometimes people have an ego, you know, even at that age, you know, you know, I was 18, 18 to 21, um, you know, people are developing their egos, they're trying to develop their persona of what kind of artist they think they want to be. Um, And so... I found it incredibly difficult to make friends, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that was kind of the the thing that I struggled with was that, you know, I was kind of feeling lonely and by myself. But it never once affected my love for the viola and mm-hmm. trying to keep going and trying to just find myself. If anything, it made me even more independent and and trying to have more focus and in, in trying to, like, my ultimate goal was like, I want to be able to make a living doing what I love to do and whatever capacity that's going to happen in, I'm going to go for it. And I had to keep myself 
you know, open-minded and ready for whatever came my way. Mm. And so that was kind of my focus during my studies rather than like, you know, trying to, rather than I would say struggling with my, oh, do I want to be a musician or not? I didn't have those, those mm. doubts. You always wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Well, certainly that spirit of independence and courage uh, in going off to Interlochen and then, you know, yeah. what, what you uh, experienced at New England Conservatory and, and I suppose to some extent at Yale after that helped prepare you for this exciting new chapter that I think came to you while you were studying at Boston University. Yes. Uh, and which ultimately took you to far off Tokyo, Japan. <laughs> Explain how that connection was first made. Right. So... Actually, when I was a student at New England Conservatory, one of my best friends, um, Whitney Thomas, who is a viola player now in the Utah Symphony, um, when she graduated as a master's student from the New England Conservatory, she was telling me, oh, I got a job in this training orchestra in Japan. And I was like, what? Like, it was kind of uh, a, a newer thing to the American scene at this time. And I was like, oh, what's that? You know, and so I kind of just did a, a simple search on the internet about this orchestra. And um, the name of it is called the Hyogo Performing Arts Center Orchestra. And what it is, is Essentially, it's kind of a half professional, half training orchestra that recruits international musicians under the age of 35 to basically come and work. Um, you have a full time orchestra schedule um, and they but they also have like an academy element where they br they will bring in guest artists from orchestras all over the world. And you'll be able to work with them, play with them both in a master class setting and also in the orchestra. They will play as, you know, guest principal players. And you kind of just uh, kind of work out the the ways of trying to with the ultimate goal of getting into a full-time professional orchestra and obviously at that time i wasn't that wasn't on my radar um i wasn't you know i was i did, i still needed to study more um and you know i went to yale for my master's and after yale i was kind of you know on the on the fence of what i wanted to do but i decided okay maybe to be safe for a little bit um i decided to pursue the doctor of musical arts degree and i got accepted into boston university so i went there um, to study with michelle of course um and I during that year I was doing well. I was doing quite well actually. Um, you know, I was the first prize winner of the University Bach competition and you know, I was you know, I gave, you know, successful recitals and everybody and I got to work with composers and I got to do a lot of things in the Boston area. Coming back there after having had been away, I may I kind of already still had many connections there to do well um, as a doctoral student. But I just didn't see myself having the longevity to kind of survive that intense degree. Um, there were just so many things that I didn't want to be at that time. Like I was like, you know, I think I'm done being a student, but then I also didn't want the, the insecurities or the kind of what ifs of being a freelancer. So I was just at that point, I was like, I have to start looking for work. And I remember looking on the internet and I saw Hyoko Performing Arts Center Orchestra announcing the openings for viola. And I was like, hmm, you know, I'm kind of in the, a better place to kind of pursue something like that. Um, and so I decided to just go on a women apply. And so I sent the application, I sent the tape. And this was the end of 2016, like December 2016. Um, 
And January 2017, I get an invitation to the live audition, which actually the nice part about this organization is that they actually, I mean, at that time, they travel to America and Europe to do live auditions like mm. the management does. And so I was able to have a live audition and interview with them in Chicago. And this is February 20, uh, 2017. And so I play for them and they talk, they, we have kind of a sit down. They ask me why did I want to come to Japan or what did I want to get out of the organization? And, you know, at that time, it was kind of a nice goal of mine to have some sort of experience abroad. Um, you know, as a musician, you know, there are orchestras all over the world. There are, you know, there are musical outlets not just in the States, but in Europe and in Asia and very fulfilling ones. So just me being that as open as I was, I was, you know, I wanted to just explore everything that I could. Um, and so, you know, the, the audition went really well and I was, I felt good about it, but of course, you, you nothing's ever 100% in our business. So, you know, if I didn't get in, I was like, well, I still have my, my degree and I, I have nothing to lose and I, I'm in a good place. Um, and then in March, uh, a month later, I get an email saying, you know, we would love for you to join the orchestra in September and we will help you with the visa and the paperwork and the contracts and, I was super excited about it. Um, I didn't. It didn't take me long to make the decision to go. Um, of course, my teacher was sad about it at the time, but she understood. Um, you know, I was coming from a place of you know my mother had passed away a, a year before, mm. um, and I was just like, David, it's time to just go for it and you have to take care of yourself now you know you can't you know you have to, I, I was like I have to make money I have to take I have to support myself and and here's this opportunity to do that and so I went in with no no hesitation wow and so. of course from there uh, fairly directly you ultimately become a member of the Japan yes, Philharmonic yeah. and ultimately become first chair viola yeah <laughs> so so exciting uh, one of the things I read about that is that you are the only, or at least at the time you became part of the orchestra, you were the only non-Japanese member of the strings. Yes. Uh, of the of the uh, Japan Philharmonic. Yeah. I wonder if you could just say a word about what it felt like. I mean, and how how conscious were you of of being uh, not like the others right. in this yeah, yeah. interesting way? So. You know, currently in the Japan Philharmonic, we have three non-Japanese members. Myself, um, we have a, an American timpani player and an Italian trumpet player, um, both who are great friends of mine. Um, and I, at this point, yeah, I am still the only non-Japanese in the string section. Hmm. Um, when I first came to the orchestra, um, I mean, honestly, it didn't, I didn't feel any difference. Um, it kind of just felt like it's always been. You know, as a, you know, black American in classical music, even during my training and during my experiences in the States, I've always been kind of the only one or the, the, <laughs> the different one. I always stuck out. And so going to an even more homogenous country like Japan, um, I already kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Um, and so that sort of essence didn't bother me. I just already, it just mm. felt like any other orchestra I'd been in. Sure, um, sure. And so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really have any sort of insecurities in that part. I was able to just kind of come in and, and play and do what I do what I do best. How did you uh, contend with the matter of language or by and large <laughs> is, 
English spoken right. widely, or do you speak Japanese pretty well, <laughs> or a little of both? Right.、Uh, I would say it's a little bit of both. So、mm. when I first arrived in Japan for when I was in Hyogo,、um, the they they have personal management who do speak English, and the rehearsals there were all held in English, which was you know because of the international nature of that orchestra. That orchestra、mm. is about half Japanese, half international. Right. And so, but when I made the transition to Tokyo. I was pretty much on my own,、um, and luckily during my second season, I decided like you know maybe I should try to pick up the language on my own, even if I didn't stay in Japan. Like I wanted to enjoy myself and not have to always rely on translators, and I wanted to be able to venture out on my own. Sure. Just because I like to be alone a lot, <laughs>、um, mm-hmm. so I really did start to you know do Duolingo on my phone. I would watch. Like like Japanese lectures on YouTube, and I would literally just try and pick up as much as I can. I would even just go to like I mean this I don't know I would just go to like a you know like a bar and just go like you know have a have a martini and just like you know the the bar tender would just like try to speak to me in Japanese and like you know just me trying to practice and like、sure. go and you know really just try to immerse myself in the language because I am living in Japan so、yeah. you know immersion is pretty powerful.、Hmm. Um, and I'm far from fluent, but it really did help me become less shy in the sense of like, I mean, of course I'm gonna make mistakes, and of course they they know that I'm trying. Of having new colleagues,、uh, much better, and so I mean I'm far from fluent, but I can do my basic. Needs in Japanese at this point. So that transition was was pretty good.、Yeah. I'm curious about uh, the the uh, uh, the the Japan Philharmonic. Does it function pretty much like any of the first class orchestras that you've played with here in the United States,、yeah. or is there any kind of a sort of a different culture there in terms of how the orchestra functions or how you interact with the conductor, or does it is it just on the other side of the world, but otherwise very much what you have been used to?、Right. I would say it's a little bit of both. I would say the the notion of just doing the job. Um, is pretty much anywhere. You know, we all kind of operate the same way.、Um, however, I would say, you know, sometimes the management style or the the rehearsal structure, um, just the weekly nature of the scheduling and projects we do can differ depending on which country you're in or even which orchestra you're in. In Tokyo, Tokyo has eight full time orchestras. Wow. Um. So you know, it, it, each orchestra has its own, you know, fan base. And personality, and so it really depends. But、uh, the the it's I didn't feel like I had to. There wasn't like a huge adjustment period、right. or anything. So I am curious to ask you briefly about COVID. Ah, yes. And、uh, so when you started at J- the Japan Philharmonic, was that? Just ahead of the COVID pandemic, absolutely yes.、Okay. Um, I probably everyone actually always says this to me like you couldn't have picked a better time to go. Like you literally just made it because, so I I won the audition for Japan Philharmonic in June 2019. I had my interview with them and I told them that I wanted to wait six months、um, before mo-、uh, moving to Tokyo because I needed to kind of get my bearings、yeah. a little bit. Um, and I had to find a place and all those things. And since I was on my own, like doing this in a whole different language, like I just needed time.、Um, and so I was like, oh, I, how about starting January 2020? And they were like, okay, you know. And it also made it also made perfect sense for like tax purposes、mm, and, and、yep. you know all、yep. those the transition.、Sure. So、uh, it was the yeah, it seemed like the perfect start time. 
And so I moved apartments in December 2019. I found a place and I started moving. And then January, uh, the first week of January, I, I started. And everything seemed normal, you know. Um, I was, you know, rehearsing. I was doing everything I was supposed to. And in February, we had our annual tour of West Japan. It's called the Kyushu region. And we were there for two weeks. And, you know, it's everything seemed normal. And then during that tour, that's when I started seeing stuff on the news about COVID. Mm. Um, and it's spreading and, you know, things are happening. And at that time, I didn't really feel a sense of urgency from anyone. Like people didn't, at least in Japan, we didn't feel like, oh, it's going to hit us like the way it did. Um, and then I get home from the tour at the end of February 2020. And we had a week off at that time just to rest from the, the long tour. And then I get an email like at the end of February saying that um, we're going to shut down for two weeks. Like every like mm. for the next two weeks, all the concerts are canceled. And it just kind of just felt like that because like they were in at least in our management, we were kind of just taking everything on a two week by two week basis mm -hmm. like with the schedule. Um, and what I noticed is that, you know, two weeks turned into a month, a month turned into two months and a month, another turned into three. And I'm like, what is happening? And so that's when everything started to shut down worldwide and we were all in this predicament. Um, but I will say in comparison to a lot of my friends in America or just, or, um, other, uh, people in positions. I was very lucky and fortunate to have not, uh, lost any of my money. I was still paid my full salary from wow. the company and, um, I was able to just stay home and be comfortable. Mm. Um, and another thing is we were able to recover and restart much faster than probably any orchestra we were um we were able we got the clear from the japanese government to be able to have a string orchestra um social distanced um, no audience live streamed concert in june 2020 wow yeah you were back in business pretty quickly then yes so that was kind of just a project to see how it would go yeah um and you know, also during that time, infections were continually to go down in Tokyo. So we were, you know, it was still there, but it was, you know, it was things just started to go down. And so in July, we were able to bring back the full orchestra. And we did have a, we had a full Tokyo subscription concert um, where we, I think we had maybe 50% in the audience. Um, and we were able to start really performing. And by the fall, I would say my schedule was maybe about 80 to 90% normal. And then, of course, there were there would be, like, you know, little cancellations here and there. But I would say compared to what was happening, you know, out in the other outside world, you know, there were people who were going one year, two years without anything. Right. And oh. so for me, I, I remember I was posting on social media, like, oh, I'm back to work. And it's only been, like, four or five months. And everyone's, like, in shock. <laughs> That yeah, you're very very fortunate, yes. and uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, and of course, I'm sure it feels good now to be uh, back home and, yeah. and so on. But yeah, I'm so glad that uh, this wonderful adventure in far off uh, Tokyo has ended up working out, even with the interruption yeah. of, of of COVID. Yeah, and also a, a big thing was, you know, during the the first initial months, is I was actually still on my trial period. Um, 
and the orchestra. And I, so I only played January and February. My trial was due to end in April. So mm. March and April, I didn't play anything. Wow. But the orchestra still decided to vote, and I passed my trial. And I was, and I also had other colleagues in other orchestras where their trials were extended or they didn't pass their trial. Mm. And so I was incredibly fortunate that I was able to kind of show them only within two months that I was going to be a good fit. Wow, that's great. Real quick, I'm, yeah. we're almost out of time. Um, as I first chair viola, right? Yes. Um, is it a challenge for you as as someone who is not Japanese to be a leader of the section and, and having to interact with I your fellow violists? I was a bit nervous at first because I didn't know how... I mean, of course, they received me well as a general section player, and that tends to be the, the general attitude of Japanese orchestras. But to be a principal... Um, but also not only just any principal, a principal uh, in a string section. Strings tend to be a little bit more conservative than other mm. sections, in my opinion. Mm. Um, so they were actually very happy when it when it was confirmed. Um, be, well, because, I mean, to be honest, they chose me. I didn't mm. ask for it. So, wow. um, you know, it started, you know, happening at the towards the end of 2020 when they started just kind of randomly asking me to sub in as principal. Um and then the voting started to happen December, January, January 2021. I found out that it was official that I would become wow. the, well, the that's principal. It's the ultimate compliment. <laughs> so it says a lot about your abilities and, and uh, your openness uh, and warmth towards them and vice versa. That's wow. just so great. Well, you're back at Parkside now as Howard Brown Artist in Residence. You're yes. going to be playing with the Parkside Orchestra. And you're going to be playing a work, uh, a concerto in C by... Uh, Schubert, but not Franz Schubert, yeah. rather Josef Schubert, yeah. a bohemian composer. It brings to mind the fact that, of course, you chose uh, the viola because it's rarely chosen. But, of course, one of the things about being a violist is you do not have seemingly the treasure trove of repertoire right. that has been composed for the violin. Uh, but I suspect there are all kinds of treasures that the general public just doesn't Absolutely, know about. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that was definitely... A factor I chose in when in when we were discussing Alvaro and I, what do we want to play? Of course, I wanted to take into consideration, you know, what the what the orchestra was going to be composed of, what the string count was, what you know, instrumentation we were working with. Um, so, but so, and I didn't want to choose anything too complicated because it would be our first time playing with each other. Sure. Um, and with limited time, so the Schubert just it just came to my mind. I thought it would have been perfect, um, knowing that Paul had done the Hofmeister Concerto. And I was like, okay, I don't want to do Stalmitz Concerto because I've already done it. Um, and so the Schubert came to my mind because no one knows it. And it's mm. it, it's just very still to this day, rarely played. Um, and I, I think it's a great piece. Um, and I studied it when I... I studied it when I was a student at Interlochen. I was 16, and it was the first time I studied that concerto. And I loved it. And it's something I found. Hmm. Um, I think uh, a lot of viola players... Um, we kind of have to do the searching ourselves. I a lot <laughs> of the repertoire that I started to play. Um, I remember when I was at New England Conservatory, I was one of the first people to really bring back the York Bowen sonatas. Um, 
for viola and piano. I played it on my senior recital. And then I remember, you know, after that, I started hearing so many more people playing the York <laughs> Bowen Viola Sonata. And, um, you know, it's those types of things where, you know, you don't, you do, of course, we have to live with the, the major concertos and the standard, standard repertoire that we all have to learn. But I also think it's important to, you know, to search for those, those like hidden gems. Yeah. Well, great. Well, then we have the rare opportunity to hear one of those hidden gems this Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. And of course, the opportunity to hear uh, the gorgeous instrument, the viola, uh, played by a real master. And Alvaro Garcia, uh, what kind of a thrill is it for you to have a former student back with you at Parkside and about to collaborate with you in this way? Well, uh, you know, you, you cannot imagine. I mean, what life will take you, or 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 or, or, or put you in the, bring us an opportunity to you, right? But I mean, to have the, the pleasure and honor to, to perform with not only your former student, but such a great accomplished violist as David Mason is, is, is just a thrill. I mean, um, you know, we had limited rehearsal time, but you know, in the, in the one rehearsal that we had back on Monday, immediately the orchestra, you know, they have their seven o'clock time sound uh, in the <laughs> afternoon, and, and, and here comes the full power of energy of David Mason, and all of a sudden he, pick, he was able with his sound to pick up everyone up, and, and, and it was just a fantastic rehearsal, hmm. you know, having that. Uh, so to be able to have that big energy uh, by, by you performing, and, and, you know, it's just going to be really good, really exciting for the public, and at and the same time, uh, you know, kind of, a bit, a bit emotional, right? <laughs> I, I don't want to get emotional when I'm performing because I just want to be at the service of the music, not, yeah. not, not the service <laughs> of You and me both. Self, but yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But I, and I hope that we, no one starts steering during the... <laughs> 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 but it, it's just something that is really special. I mean, and it means a lot to bring someone who was actually from Kenosha. Right. You know, that has that connection too. Absolutely. So. And David, I assume this is uh, maybe your first time back performing in this respect yes um this is actually the first public performance since kenosha symphony wow so 15 years wow well <laughs> far overdue and it's something that many people are excited about we encourage people to go to the parkside website which is uwp.edu to find out more information and including ticket information about saturday afternoon's concert three o'clock in the beautiful francis bedford concert hall and uh, in the soloist spotlight for that concert saturday afternoon violist David Mason. David Mason, it is so great to uh, finally meet you. I, I've had Paul Cortese, the great uh, viola virtuoso who now lives in Barcelona, Spain, in that very chair, wow. and now to have you here. It's just great. Uh, and Alvaro Garcia, great to be catching up with you as well and uh, to have you share in this very, very happy story. Mm -hmm. Best wishes with you uh, for the rest of the week and for Saturday afternoon. Thank you concert. so much. And thanks for being part of the morning uh, show today. My Thank pleasure. So much, Good to have you here.